0: From little things, big things grow
1: Then Vincent Lingari boarded an airplane And landed in Sydney, big city of lights And daily he went round softly speaking his story To all kinds of men from all walks of life
0: Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at BeyondZero Good afternoon listeners, you're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show on 3CR 855am here in Melbourne and um, also podcasting to various podcast channels and there's a great um, backlog of uh, radio shows from both the Monday uh, 5 to 6pm show which you're on now and also the Friday morning technology show which comes out at 8 AM. And we're really fortunate today in the studio, we've got Vanessa Petrie, who is the BZE CEO. Welcome, Vanessa. Hi, Erin. Thank you. It's really good to actually have someone in here because it's very rare that um, we do live interviews because so many of the people that we talk to are interstate or international or or it's just, you know, the the convenience of um, modern technology. So it's actually nice to have a a human, a live human being here in the studio (laughs) to chat with. Well, thank
2: you. But, I mean, the fact that you have so many amazing guests from all over the place is a real testament to BZE Radio, um, you know, getting all these climate leaders to share their insights with us all.
0: Yeah, it's great. And, um, you know, there's an extensive back catalogue there, which um, is great to, you know, for people who want to go in and have a look at it on the BZE website, which is dot au. So we're going to, you know, it's great to have Vanessa in here and it's it's important to kind of, we're coming towards the end of the year and, and lots of things are kind of starting to wrap up and school time and exams and uni and all the rest, so it's kind of a good time to reflect. So we're really pleased to have Vanessa here and, and just kind of looking forward and we're going to spend a little bit of time, sorry, looking back in, in 2017 and also looking forward to um, some of the priorities in, in 2018 as well. Um, so we might just first start, with um, you know what you think were the real milestones for BZD in two thousand
2: and seventeen. Erin, our research um, report, rethinking cement, um, has been uh, a, a fabulous result for BZD. You know we we BZD really shines when we look at unique research. So as as you know and our listeners would know we we do really unique research around how different sectors to decarbonise to open up the space, to show what's possible um, and to open up the space for campaigners and, and also government and industry people that can implement these solutions. And um, no one really had put a, a spotlight on cement. And I remember at the beginning of the year when we were um, you know talking about the research, Michael Lord, our head of research, we were thinking and, and saying, well, how are we going to make cement interesting? But I'm pleased to say we haven't had a worry. Um, so we, I think many people were surprised um, that cement accounts for eight percent of all of the global emissions. Um, it's actually a really interesting topic, and if anyone talks about has talked about cement, it's really to say, well, it's it's probably too hard um, mm. because we're using limestone, but we we believe it was a, a world first. Our report setting out. Um, Alternatives to Portland cement, and we've had a great response from the construction and infrastructure sector. Um, many people have a real interest um, and in and are expecting sustainable buildings and infrastructure, and this is another way that the sector um, can move towards decarbonising. And it's we've had a really good response um, from business and also
0: from government. And it's one of those things, I suppose, you know. Buildings is a huge sector, and as you say, 8% linked yeah. to of emissions linked to cement. And, you know, there's been a lot of work done on things like design and, and yeah. passive house design. But, you know, the fact is, you know, these buildings, they're not completely, but there's usually a component that is cement. So it's really important to actually kind of get down to the basics of, well, how can we make actually the cement better?
2: Yeah, so the embodied energy of materials is super important, and, and that's one of the reasons why um, we are focusing on industry at the moment because everyone is aware when they flick on the light switch, drive a car, um, of the energy and the carbon emissions but if you're drinking a beer or, um, you know, brushing your teeth or, you know, using plastic. We we don't often think about the carbon that's involved in making everyday materials. But, I mean, overall, Australian industry accounts for 21% of all of our um, emissions. And Mm -hmm. it's not really an area that gets presently gets a lot of focus, but there are solutions, which is why the Cement Report, I think, was so well received because it's a really positive vision for how Australia can lead on... Um, manufacturing and using these alternative cements and it's really captured I guess the interest um, Mm. of many people and you know we're about to um, start our new piece of industry work looking at heat but I think the fact that you know no no, we we, to the best of our knowledge no no one has taken a a big picture view about how you can decarbonize these production of these materials um, and just being really constructive and um having of course really robust evidence-based plan but just showing people how it can be done um, I think it's really well received in yeah, quite it a was, tricky year for there energy was,
0: policy. Um, uh, i just going by memory Michael spoke at a few indes- yeah. industry events and got papers accepted um, yeah. at a number of sort of you know really um, you know esteemed conferences and things like that that these you know the um specifiers of lots of the built environment you know really were kind of interested to hear this stuff and it was it kind of a bit of a light bulb moment for them
2: yeah and particularly for um industry leaders that embrace innovation um this is like a this is a way to innovate in how we can build our infrastructure and and our buildings and it's um as as you know in our report like we say that if Australia pursues this if we um, develop the know-how and the knowledge Australia is really well placed to become world leaders in these alternative ways of making cement because um, many of the companies doing doing these alternative um, approaches are Australian based so we've got really great examples in Australia. um, Wagners um, in Queensland, you know. Really, oh, and Toowoomba? Yeah, their yeah. airport, the Wellcamp um, West Brisbane Airport, is you know, the biggest project to use geopolymer, mm-hmm. cement. Um, so there's so many great examples that um, we have already in Australia and, you know, we, we we could embrace that and really become leaders in this technology.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Listeners, we've got Vanessa Petrie, who is Beyond Zero Emissions CEO in the studio with us today, and we're having a bit of a recap of um, what bzd has been involved with this year. And we're just talking about the research that went into cement and that was really well received by the industry. And for listeners that want to delve more into that, you can access the the report off the BZD website as with all our research. And also there was um, a radio show when we did an interview with... Um, Michael and really kind of dug down into the detail of it and also uh, we put out some um, some of the radio shows with launches from various events. So there's a lot of information there that you can follow up with if you want to kind of dig down into the deep detail of that and if you are someone in the construction industry uh, that's something that um, would be really worth getting your head around as well. So that that was a great highlight, um, but as we know, BZD's does a lot with very little. So what other things did um, we get up to over the course of 2017?
2: Serocarbon communities really moved along. We started that around two years ago with Byron Shire as an idea. So this year we've really taken that and developed it into a program. We were fortunate enough to receive funding um, from the Lord Mayor's Charitable Foundation and also the Hamer family um, to support three communities, so Borbore, Benalla and Nillimbik, who have been working on an energy transition plan for the energy sector and buildings. So working with them has allowed us to really refine um, a program of support for communities who are wanting to make the commitment um, to work towards zero emissions in their community. And in July, we released the Zero Carbon Community Guide, um, which is designed to provide communities who want to make that commitment with support. So we set out a nine step process um, that they can work through um, in order to be a zero carbon community. And we had a lot of um, great support to put that together. We wanted to really show that Uh, this is already happening and there are a lot of leaders and other communities that we can learn from. So we we put the call out for examples and and you'll see in our our guide um, we were able to showcase a lot of communities that are doing amazing things um, like totally renewable, Yakandanda, Darabin um, City Council. It's just, you know, when we think about climate leadership and who's rolling up their sleeves and doing the work, I am personally inspired by communities that are stepping up and providing leadership in advocacy but also leadership in action as well because committing to becoming a zero-carbon community is a big commitment and a lot of work Um, but it is that um, challenge that is inspiring and motivating communities So Imogen Jubb, who leads that program, who leads Zero Carbon Communities Forest, has been um, working to promote and grow the program too. So we've got interest now with um, Tweed Heads and more recently Beyond Zero Emissions community of volunteers in Newcastle um, have been meeting um, with the support of the Tom Farrell Institute for the Environment, meeting with councils, in the Hunter Valley region and there's a lot of interest there um, to become a zero carbon community as well. So it's been it's a really practical program um, with, with steps. It's quite a challenge, but we've been able to put together a program of steps that people can take to start on their journey um, and hundreds of people have downloaded
0: the so, guide so, off our website. So that's the best way. If people you know out in um, Radioland hearing yep. this think, I, you know, this is something I'm really passionate about but I kind of didn't know quite where to start. So going onto the website and they can download that, or, or a call, or what, is that the, what's the best way to start?
2: Yep. So download the guide and have a read. We're
0: also um, so that's at bzde.org.au. Yep,
2: and you'll you'll see that on the landing page. Also, let us know if you've got interest in becoming a zero carbon community because we've um, commenced forming a, a register of interested communities because where we'd like to go with this is to grow um, is an ever-growing network of communities across Australia working to zero carbon communities but we're wanting to create a community of practice where we support communities but um, communities across Australia can support each other and over the next three years we'd really like to have grow the network to 50 communities represented across all states of Australia and also working on all sectors so we're focused communities are focused on energy Largely at the moment, um, Zero Emissions Byron has looked at all sectors, but what we'd like to have is to have communities working in all the sectors so we can support them to develop guidelines and templates for, say, um, agriculture, waste, mm. transport, industry, um, to then provide resources for other communities
0: to use. Yeah, there's no point reinventing the wheel. And I know certainly this year on my my um, radio shows, I've really put an emphasis and focusing on, a lot of local initiatives. So whether that's you know in Queensland, um, Sunshine Coast solar farm, which was a council-based mm-hmm. initiative, which is completely uh, that's that's come online now. That's a fifteen megawatt solar farm that the council decided to put in place and is completely uh, nullifying their energy use. As you know, every facility, swimming pools, lights, street yep. lighting, you name it, um, and that's where the action is at a local government and local community level. And, I mean, you know, there's state programs as well, but, you know, the sector that's really lagging is the federal. Um, and, you know, I mean, hopefully we'll see some change there. But there is just seemingly so much action at that local local level, and whether that's involving local level government as well, but and it's great that people are kind of taking that initiative and stepping up and forming these, um, you know, whether they're a incorporated association or just a grouping of of motivated people. Um, earlier in the year, we also did some, um, you know, did a show out of the um, community energy congress. And that was a great event as well, and just showcased so many, so much of the activity that's happening at that local level. So, you know, that's seemingly where there's so much energy.
2: I agree. I want to touch on another example of where communities have changed something nationally. But um, you mentioned Sunshine Coast. I learnt on Thursday that the first house in Australia, um, in the I think it was 1997, to
0: have solar panels was in the Sunshine Coast. I know the people that own that house. <laughs> If it's what I'm thinking about, yeah, it was in Mount Coulomb.
2: Yep, that was the one. So, mm-hmm. community leadership—I completely agree. Um, I've spent a lot of time working in waste and resource recovery, and each week you put your well, um, put your recycling bin out, and you probably don't give it another thought. But that would not have happened if it wasn't for communities and local government. So, the former city of Brunswick. Um, and their community, you know, started curbside recycling, and then that grew across Melbourne, and then across all of Victoria. And it's, you know, it's accepted. It's a national, you know, it's wow. a... us I mean,
0: of course, everything's got to, it's got to start somewhere, doesn't it? But you kind of don't think about that, and you just it's just become so commonplace.
2: And I've got, um, I've you know, I've worked a lot in um, public sector, and this is this has been a fantastic year for me. I'm new to the not-for-profit sector, but I've always believed and known the value of community. Leadership when you're developing policies, and I communities are so important because they will think about well, what vision? What do we want our life to be like? And then, um, if you're a think tank like BZD, you will then go about and do the work about how to get there. And, and governments um, come at it from a different approach. Um, governments will often, you know, spend a lot of time going, "What is, what is the problem to be solved?" Um, looking at the evidence base, coming up with options, and that's a very valid process. But you can sometimes you can get caught in a loop of being bogged down in a problem, I call it problem admiring. Um, and it's essential that communities complement that process by not being constrained by that. They just think about well, how can the world be and they imagine it. And I think you know that is why communities are so successful at being Leaders. The other thing too, as we know from the BZE community, is there is an immense amount of talent and capabilities um, and people motivated to act. So we think of communities, um, it is people who come from all walks of life and background and professional skills to offer. Um, and, you know, community groups can mobilise that talent as well, which I think is another important ingredient to why communities are the important leaders that we really need in climate and, of course, in a whole lot of other
0: areas. Yeah. And look, I think um, one of the important things around that, because obviously, you know, BZD is a think tank around climate solutions, which is a global problem. But it's important that people have the ability to take action on a local level you know really important for psychological health and I mean all those things actually getting things done but to feel that they can actually do that and and make change and keep on chipping away and and especially when we kind of see a bit of a vacuum maybe at the, the upper levels.
2: I agree and I think um, there's uh, the take two program at the Victorian state government um, is leading is a really great initiative to do that and they've got just a lot give us of ideas. a brief
0: a brief overview of that because we haven't talked about that on the show and it's something I'd like to cover so for people that aren't familiar with that project what's the um premise of it well
2: it's taking a pledge of action around um what what you will do I mean your life to for, to um tackle climate change and what what you can offer and if you look at the website um there's a whole list of Um, Ideas and things um, that you can do. Um, So I'd really encourage everyone to have a look at the website. Beyond Zero Emissions was a founding member of Take Two, so we, we had our own actions and I'm pleased to say we've made some progress in meeting them. We recently moved to Ross House, which has an environmental... Um, procurement policy and he's working hard to reduce the energy footprint of the building. So, you know, we're, we as an organisation are looking for ways to, um, you know, to work towards our commitments we've take to. So it's great if you're a business, if you're a resident, if you're a household as well, lots of ideas and tips um, that you could um, think about signing up to.
0: Fantastic. Well, we might just take a little bit of music for a minute and then we're going to come back and chat a little bit more to Vanessa around um, BZE, what they've done and what they're doing in the future. Feeling
2: shortchanged by all the doom and gloom of climate change and want to help? Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. At BZE we have a blueprint to help Australia become a thriving zero emissions economy but we are dependent on public donations so we need your help. To donate or find out more information, head to bze.org.au. That's bze.org.au.
1: 3CR, Radio for Change. This station has done a fantastic job of getting the real climate change message out to its listeners in an independent way. For starters, we can and must take the profits from the dying days of fossil fuels and spend them on climate justice.
0: 3CR, Radio for Change. The world should aim at keeping the global temperature increase well below 2 degrees and also pursue efforts to actually limit global warming to 1.5 degrees
2: donate call oh
0: three nine four one nine eight three double seven sorry listeners I was trying to play you some music there but sometimes the joys of um, community radio is that we don't have uh Everything working 100% all the time, but that's okay because the content makes up for it. So, we just heard there some quick messages um, that are one of the really important things about Beyond Zero Emissions is that we are a not for profit think tank that runs on the smell of an oily rag, and it's really important that um, to keep doing the good work that gets done on that very small budget that we um, you know people put their hand in their pocket and um, support that work so on that note Vanessa it might be a good time to talk about um, the annual dinner that's coming up and um, some of the other fundraising initiatives that we've got and it's going to be great to uh, get along to the to the annual dinner because quite often you know you do a lot of your communication I know certainly I do email or phone and so it's nice to kind of actually get together socially with people and put names to faces and and all that kind of stuff
2: it will be a really fun night the needless to say the company will be amazing <laughs> a lot of um, really great people to chat to so details first it is on Tuesday the 5th of December at 7 p.m at the Edinburgh Gardens community room and you can find all the details on try booking um, but we've lined up some really fun things. Um, we have a delicious meal with Asylum Seeker Resource Centre catering. And we will have Shaking the Tree Choir join us. Um, and I've I've seen them in action before at the Daraba Music Festival and they're a lot of fun. So that will be um, that'll be great. And Yasmina Dakisi, who is the Net Zero Program Strategy Manager at Monash University, will be our keynote Speaker And Yasmina is going to talk about, from her own experience, um, initiatives to accelerate transitioning to a cleaner and fairer energy system. But she's going to also talk about the role of community groups and that of gender and cultural diversity in driving the change. And I'm really looking forward to that. Um, actually, on Thursday, I had a chat to someone about gender diversity in renewables. Mm,
0: um, tell me about it. I was re- sorry to no, cut you off. interrupt but me. You just... Uh, <laughs> Quite often um, I try to get along to the discussion group, which is at University of Melbourne, as you'd well know, on a Monday night, which is a wonderful BZE uh, event that's been going for a long time now and is another great resource of information that you can look at the old back catalogue on the BZD website. This week, or sorry, last week, um, it's usually on the first Monday of the month, but with the mm. Melbourne Cup public holiday and everything, it went to the second. So I thought, I'll get along. It was on... Um, uh, had a speaker from Nissan, um, well, not Australia, he was actually the manager for sort of Australasia. Anyway, talking about electrification Mm -hmm. and what they're looking at as a business. I got there a little bit late because obviously it runs kind of straight after the radio show. Got into the room, was listening to the really great information and kind of looked around and went one, two, three, four, and that was how many women were in the room as opposed to probably about 40 men <laughs> and it just really made me think and look it's not something that i haven't seen before but this kind of um sector um and when you you know going to maybe more of the technical type events it's really male dominated isn't it yeah
2: and well, we need um everyone's participation to mm-hmm. transition to a zero economy, so I'm really looking forward to listening to Yasmina, um, mm. I think. And she's, she's been on BZD Radio before um, being a guest, so I think many people will remember her. But, um, yeah, actually, I the Clean Energy Council have a Women in Renewables um, initiative too. They launched it a couple of months ago, mm. I think, to encourage um, gender diversity in the sector, um, which is important, of course, for all, all sectors to thrive. So I really looking forward to Yasmina um, and other exciting things, a silent auction. So yep. we will be launching our, our interview fundraising appeal. So we are raising money at the moment to fund our next industry project. Um, and we'll be launching that, but we're having a silent auction. New for busyity so we've got some very interesting things on the table so far, and uh, the most uh interesting Michael lodge um, is going to be donating a, a jack off t shirt which I don't know if people remember the campaign to remove the union Jack off the flag okay anyway there was there was such a campaign, so we have a jack off t shirt signed by Gough Whitlam oh
0: wow sp- <laughs> well that long ago <laughs> we we're talking okay so that should
2: be hot property eco master um has put on the table an eco home plus assessment. there is a double pass to have 10 lessons with Gamelan Danunda which is a community Balinese chime orchestra zero mo um, which is a new um, not-for-profit prof- not that is promoting and bringing awareness to electric um, garden maintenance equipment like like oh, mowers. That is great. It is very great. Yeah. Um, definitely worth checking out Zero Mo, who are quietly electric, and they they are going. They are donating an electric lawnmower.
0: I think I read something, and I don't know if it was related to them or it was more generally. But talking about those small motor appliances mm. that are hugely disproportionately polluting.
2: Yeah, and they add up we were talking earlier about everyone needs to do something in their own life. I mean, this is another mm. um thing that you can do. You can look at having um if you have landscape business or you, you love gardening, um, that's something you can do. You can look at an electric electric garden and landscaping equipment. So Zero Mo um exists to promote that and they're donating um a MOA for
0: us. Oh, which, that's fantastic.
2: And I don't know, rather um <laughs> And I, rather foolishly, have said that I will sing an aria if for the right price. I will literally sing for BZE's dinner on the night.
0: Ah, is this a side of you that we don't know about?
2: (laughs) I used to sing, yes.
0: Right. Oh, looking forward to that.
2: (laughs) So it will be a lot of fun as well as helping to raise the funds we need um, for the year ahead, which is going to be very exciting. And again, focusing on really unique research that has not been
0: touched before. Fantastic. Well, that might be a good, good um, trigger then for talking about some of those things for next year. What uh, what do you think will be the main pieces of work for BZE going into 2018?
2: Well, three broad focus areas will be our research, zero-carbon communities and our engagement mm-hmm. and education. With research, we're continuing industry, um, so we have commenced work on electrifying industry, what we will do is research how manufacturing heat needs can be met using electricity and um, not gas and coal. And I think the timing could not be better for a piece of work around this industry and, you know, the impact of gas rises on industry Um, is quite significant. And I think a lot of the commentary to date has been around how can we get the gas price down, but really, what needs to happen is moving away from gas um, coal and other fossils which which has to happen, yeah, so this is an opportunity to solve the gas crisis as well as set industry up um, for the future. of course, um, we Australia has abundant and plentiful um, renewable mm. resources, so electrifying industry makes sense. Uh, quite a few commentators have said that electrifying manufacturing heat needs is the answer but no one has done um, the research and developed the plan for how that can occur. So we're going to do that piece of work. We're putting together um, a panel of experts to guide us and we're also looking to partner and collaborate with um, industrial partners. So it's going to be a very, I think, a really, really important piece of work and we're expecting to deliver that around the middle of the year
0: fantastic um and then looking beyond and is BZD partnering with any other organizations on that which i know in the past has been the model for some of the research
2: yes we will be so we're just um exploring and putting into place those partnerships at at the moment um we we always partner i mean we're we're collaborative by nature and you know cement report is a great example where we had 20 researchers help us do the work and 26 Experts across industry and academia give their time to us on a pro bono basis mm. um, to giving their expertise, but then also some people also peer reviewed it so we we couldn't have the impact we do um, if we didn't collaborate with others so yes, um, definitely, yes, we will be um, partnering with with people to deliver this work um, so I think it will be exciting
0: oh, okay, well, fantastic. Well, we're going to come back to Vanessa, but I think it's probably timely that we get uh, Suzanne Harter on the line because there's been a piece of research come out, um, I think it's just been in the last couple of days actually, that um, the ACF has um, collaborated, talking about collaboration with um, UTS and the Institute of Sustainable Futures around what's happening with Liddell Power Plant in the Hunter Valley. And we were talking with Vanessa earlier about, you know, some of those zero-carbon communities, and certainly there's a lot of energy in in the Hunter Valley for um, communities wanting to come together around this. But but one of the things, and you'll see when we we have a chat with Suzanne, is that there's a number of coal-fired power stations around the country that are just naturally coming to the end of their life. Um, that's just happening there's no kind of if buts or maybes around that but what we you know what's ideal is that those transitions and, and the, the shutdown of those plants is actually managed in a way that is uh, supportive of the communities that they're housed within because what we saw certainly in victoria with hazelwood was um, that power plant was was closed in quite a hasty fashion and you know that. As well as kind of having that hanging over that community's head, when it actually happened, it was a lot shorter time frame than, than most of those people um, were thinking was, was going to be the the, horizon, the time horizons on that. So let's get on with talking with Suzanne about that work that's come out and some of the, um, the issues and alternatives around what's going to happen with Liddell Power Station. Listeners, on the line we've got Suzanne Harter and she is the climate change and clean energy campaigner for ACF. Welcome, Suzanne.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Look, um, we want to have a bit of a chat today about the report that's recently been issued um, in terms of, you know, beyond coal and the alternatives surrounding um, what's going to happen with the Liddell Power Station. Can you tell us a bit about... um, Know, who was involved in that work and um, what agencies were um, put it together, and then we'll start looking at some of the issues.
1: Sure, so this was a report um, that was commissioned by the Australian Conservation Foundation, um, and the folks that did the work um, were the Institute of Sustainable Futures at UTS. Um, so they did all the modeling and analysis and finalized the report.
0: Okay, great. And so for our listeners, can you firstly outline what the issues are? We know that there's been a number of, and there will continue to be a number of uh, power stations, and primarily in Hazelwood, most of our listeners would be familiar with, with Hazelwood. Um, and, you know, what's what's happened with that? And that was sort of happened in such a rushed fashion. We really need to be a lot more strategic about the closures and, and the transition that needs to happen to, to um, you know, the, the new forms of energy.
1: That's exactly right. So, in the last few years, we've seen uh, 10 coal fired power plants close, and Hazelwood was the most recent. Um, But we have quite a lineup of um, coal fired power plants um, that are quite dirty, but they're also very old, um, and they're going to close regardless. However, you know, if if we take the action we need to take on climate change, they will be forced to close over the next few years. So um, in the next 15 years, there's at least nine power stations that will um, be meeting the end of their design life um, and will need to close. And so in this case, so so Hazelwood closed quite suddenly, um, and so did the, the ones that closed before Hazelwood. There wasn't much notice. Um, workers in the community didn't get a lot of opportunity to respond to that. Huge um, pressure and-
0: on those, you know, the psychological pressure of, of kind of having that hanging over their heads and, and no, um, no real strategic response to it, and then then the notice, you know, was, was so short. So it's a huge psychological impact for those communities to kind of have have hanging over them, isn't it?
1: That's exactly right. Um, And so in this case, AGL, which owns the Liddell Power Station in the Hunter Valley, um, kind of did the right thing in this case and announced closure and put a date on it. So they put 2022 um, as their date of closure. Now, when they announced that, um, the Turnbull government came out and um, they are trying to keep more coal in the system longer and even bring in new coal. So their response was to pressure AGL um, to keep the Liddell power station open for at least another five years. Now we all know that we need to get coal out of the system, so our response was, um, hmm, we need to take a closer look at that. What does that really mean, extending the life of a coal-powered plant? Um, How much is that going to cost? How much climate pollution is that going to release? And AGL had put up another scenario, another option, saying we're going to replace it. Um, with a package of things, including some more renewables um, and some more fossil fuels. And they announced that package at their AGM. So the reason that we decided to do this report is we wanted to do a side-by-side comparison of these various um, options for either extending um, this dirty coal plant or replacing it with AGL's option, which includes some fossil fuels, or a purely clean energy solution, um, a, a package of options that would be zero carbon pollution um, and we wanted to know is that also going to be much cheaper and just as reliable. So the, re- the results in this case are um, amazing uh, and very confirming in terms of the, um, the optimal solution which is clearly a clean energy package.
0: Okay, great. Well- when, you know, if we what about we outline what those range of solutions? I mean, you've kind of mentioned them there, um, but what from the research that you've done, um, you know, looking at what those range of range of solutions actually looks like?
1: Yeah. So, so what they did is they looked at ten different um, options. So those range from the first one is Extend Liddell for five years. Um, The second one is AGL's proposal that was put out at their AGM. So that includes um, a capacity upgrade to the Bayswater coal power plant. Um, So that is actually, uh, you know, additional coal capacity. A 750-megawatt gas power plant. So that's new gas. Um, A bit of wind. um, A bit of demand response. So sort of controlling um, when folks are demanding uh, energy, and then um, some batteries, so 50 megawatts of, of batteries. So that package, obviously, some of that sounds pretty good, but some of that is getting more fossil fuels into the mix. Mm. The clean energy package, um, so then they looked at a whole range of um, clean energy uh, options, and those go from wind, um, s- solar PV, solar thermal, um, small-scale batteries, large-scale batteries, um, there are storage, storage solutions, but also smart solutions, so energy efficiency, uh, demand response, and flexible pricing, mm-hmm. uh, which amazingly can also really change when energy is demanded and, and can help to avoid uh, the need to build new power plants. So that's what was um, considered when they looked at the optimal, sort of the cheapest, um, equally reliable package for the clean energy. Um, what came up was energy efficiency, uh, new wind generation, demand response, and flexible pricing. Um, but just to quickly explain, the difference was so great between extend, extending Liddell um, and this clean energy package, it was a $1.3 billion savings to go with clean energy uh, and a 40 million ton of CO2 savings. They were able to take that cost, that $1.3 billion, and add a whole bunch more clean energy um, Mm. to the clean energy package. So they were able to add some solar thermal, um, some small-scale batteries that could go into the community that already has solar. Um, So some additional really great options could be added. To that packaged into an expanded package, it still came out cheaper than extending Liddell. It still came out cheaper than AGL's proposal, um, and massively um, cleaner and equally reliable.
0: Right. Well, it kind of sounds like the way to go. But sometimes logic hasn't been a high point in this argue- in this um, you know discussion and de- debate forward. Listeners, we've got Suzanne Harter on the line and we're talking about a new piece of research which has just come out um, very recently called Beyond Coal, Alternatives to Extending Liddell Power Station Um, and that's been a collaborative effort between the Australian Conservation Foundation, ACF and the Sustainable Futures Institute. Am I getting that right, Suzanne?
1: Uh, Yeah, Institute of Sustainable Futures at UTS. That's exactly right. Okay,
0: great. Yeah. So we know that that's the way to go, um, and the research bears that out, that there's some, some huge positives in terms of um, you know, what the savings can be and, and maintaining um, you know, the mix of energy and reliability and all those other kind of factors that the Australian energy market operator has to, um, has to kind of stick to in their remit. What's been the response so far to this research?
1: Yeah, look, I think the response has been quite good. I mean, folks have definitely picked this up because we're in the middle of a debate, a policy debate, as you know, uh, about climate change and energy. And right now we have no good policy um, mm. on either. Um, our renewable energy targets running out and the government recently put up um, kind of a thought bubble, which was a national yeah. energy guarantee, which has very little detail around it. So. Mm. So this report, I think it's also important because it speaks to the kinds of policies that we need to address the energy transition that we absolutely need, um, which is to clean energy. So the question that this raises for me is, do we have anything on the table that unlocks the clear winners when you look at where we need to go with our energy sector that are cleanest, cheapest, most reliable? You know, they get the ticket every level um, are we unlocking those things? And I think we have to ask that question when we look at what's being put forward by our government. Um, are, is this the right solution? Or, or do we need something else? Because clearly clean energy is the, is the winner. Um, there's no way around that. It, coal does not measure up in any way, shape or form.
0: No. And we were speaking on the show last week to Professor Will Steffen and the recent um, uh, Critical Decade 2017 version of um, that report, and the fact is, you know, we don't have time on our side. Um, action has got to happen and there needs to be clear policies. There is a number of these these coal-fired power plants that are just coming to the end of their natural life, regardless of, of you know, the impacts of climate change. And so a, a managed transition is, is what needs to happen.
1: That's exactly right. Um, so at the, uh, this report also talks about what we need to see happen um, to ensure that, that Local communities that are facing closures are assisted through what, you know, we call a just transition, Mm. which is a transition that genuinely thinks forward, um, comes up with a whole new sort of a future economy with with new Mm. good jobs, sustainable jobs, you know, all of this. So we need to think about that. We need government to think about that. And if they continue um, with the position that we're just going to keep coal in the system for as long as we can, then they're just shoving off um, this work that absolutely is essential. It needs to be done early, in fact, now. Um, So the whole issue of assisting communities through transition is another point and another reason why we need good policy, and we need to acknowledge the transition that we have ahead of us.
0: Yeah. We've seen, um, you know, we've tended to focus quite a bit on the radio show about initiatives Um, that are doing solutions, and a lot of them are coming out of communities, local government, state government. Um, And whilst that's fantastic, and we applaud those things, and we try to, you know, magnify and and amplify when those things are happening and and show them as um, great case studies, um, the fact is, we need the federal government uh, to step up. And, you know, things like, um, you know, there's this National Energy Guarantee and the the lack of thought that seems to have gone behind that and everything, we've got a number of these communities that, and um, traditional power sources that are going to have to transition um, and we really need an all fairness to those communities that they're in and for the broader context that, that to be a planned logical solution and we've got the technologies, it's just getting the um, the correct policy in place and getting follow through. So. Look, really appreciate your time today. Um, And for our listeners, if they want to read the report, it's available on the
1: website. Um, That's correct, yeah, on ACF's website. So you can just go into www.acf.org.au and under our reports, yes, we'll have it um, posted there.
0: Yeah, fantastic. All right, lovely to talk with you, Suzanne, and um, thanks for putting out this great work.
1: Oh, fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Thanks.
0: So this is where it happens, the beginning of the end. The inevitable train wreck has rolled around again. We should have seen it coming. We're standing on the ridge. First, that always feels you too when
1: everything else fails We couldn't make a difference And our ideas Have gone the way to home And fallen victims victim to our fears
0: What's a nice good luck like?
1: Solid rock that I pretend And I cannot be a barricade The savior of your soul Cause I'm not built to withstand These extremes of hot and cold So don't keep a flame for you
0: To your heart, and then you took me to your
1: bed. But I'm so sorry, darling.
0: So oh, that was Gentle Ben and His Sensitive Side and The Beginning of the End, one of the songs that's on high rotation on my phone. Um But we're back and we've got Vanessa Petrie from BZE has managed to stay with us for the whole show today, which has been fantastic to have her in the studio and be chatting about some of the really important work that BZE is doing and is going to continue to do and we we're just chatting in the in the break there about the really monumentous thing that happened um, just a couple of months ago, I suppose it was, of um, the announcement in Port Augusta in South Australia.
2: Yeah, it's um, incredible that community, you know, once again showing what communities can do. So... uh, almost speechless. It's such an incredible effort from the community and, and for Beyond Zero Emissions it's a really important milestone in our history, in our journey as an organisation because we can now see what our research can do. So we, um, we released Repowering Port Augusta in 2012. So winding back a bit of course in 2010 we released the stationary energy plan um, but then Beyond Zero Emissions asked itself will If this could occur in Australia, where would it most likely be? And settled on um, Port Augusta for many, many good reasons. And and repowering Port Augusta is a blueprint for how Port Augusta can transition to be a renewables hub in Australia. Um, And all the benefits that would go with that for the community and more broadly for the nation. So beyond zero emissions, produced that blueprint um, for the community and then partnered with the community to commence um, a campaign. And as we know, Beyond Zero Emission's role is is not a frontline campaigner, but we do, we develop the pathways um, and the solutions for campaigners and and also for people who can implement them like governments um, and businesses. And this work does not get results overnight.
0: No. um,
2: Because... Change takes time. Genuine change takes time, but I think a period of five years to to have a community of um, researchers come together and write repairing Augusta, handing it over to frontline campaigners um, to take up the reins and the local community, and the result that we've seen um, is an amazing. It's an amazing story of how communities can really lead and get change happening on the ground. And we couldn't be more excited at BZE, at this amazing result for South Australia. Mm. The community deserved this.
0: Yeah, and look, it was a long, hard fight for them. And, um, you know, I know the mayor who has, you know, passed away was a huge supporter. Um, And unfortunately, you know, there was... um, I'm just going back in memory, but the instances of cancer in that community were kind of outside of the the bounds of normal. And that was one of the – and um, I don't know exactly what the the mayor's condition there was. And I think there was a program on Four Corners about her and the fight for that transition in Port Augusta. But that work that BZE did so long ago, which can kind of then be used by that local community as a framework – to kind of keep building on um, in terms of, you know, that that research has been done, that this makes sense, it stacks up, um, that they may not necessarily have the skills for or the information or the resources, but BZE can provide that and that, and that instance did that and it helped kind of keep moving that discussion forward.
2: And it was using the skills and the experience of the community to put a positive vision together and to deliver hope. And, I mean, the way... I role is i I believe that the best thing to do to in, to encourage and lead change is to paint a positive story mm-hmm. about what can occur and of course that is what beyond zero emissions does and that is what we did with repowering port augusta but it's evidence based so it's yes. solid research but it brings hope and it's positive and it's constructive um of course there are many scary things that are happening with climate change and we know we you know Australia needs to really get a <laughs> at the federal level, policy sense, really get a a wriggle on. Um, but what really inspires people to get behind a vision um, and change is to bring hope and confidence that change is possible and, and that's what our research really does in a nutshell. We, we change the conversation from it can't be done, it's too hard, to you can decarbonise, um, it's achievable and affordable and look, here's a pathway that uses commercialised, proven technology.
0: Yeah, and... Exactly and that's one of the great things about BZE and certainly when I got involved probably back in around 2011 odd, maybe 2012, that was the thing that drew me in was the solutions and the positivity. So I think that's something that lots of people do. But I know that you were also involved in in an event in Queensland recently which um, I imagine had some pretty positive outcomes and a lot of energetic people wanting to see change. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: It was the Sun Powered Queensland Community Summit hosted by the Sun Powered Queensland, which Beyond Zero Emissions has signed up to and is supporting. And it was one of the best things I've been to all year, um, run by the Solar um, Citizens Council. And there were some really great speakers there. In fact, Dan Spencer from Repowering Port Augusta um, was there talking about his journey and Lee Eubank,
0: so to really... Two people that we've had the pleasure to speak with on the yes. radio about different initiatives. And quite frankly, I'm in awe of just uh,
2: yeah, incredible people. Um, Nikki Ison was the keynote speaker from Community Power Agency. Um, for me, what really caught my attention was the Reverend Dr. Peter Catt, who is the Dean of the Anglican um, Diocese of Brisbane and a prominent climate action advocate. And he talked about our moral imperative really to embrace change and, and to act. Um, and I was uh, really inspired and, you know, you know, lots of cause for reflection, um, with what he had to share and his message was we need to do this and we need to do it fast. Um, and of course I couldn't agree more. We, and there's a whole, um, we also, I also listened in on a session with union representatives and I, it's really important too, because particularly, you know, thinking about our work in industry, Jobs are really important um, for the health and well-being of the community and, and involving the workforce in the transition um, is incredibly important as it is, you know, really being clear about what job opportunities transitioning to zero carbon has. So it's really good listening to them.
0: That would be something that um, might be great to follow up with for a show next year because um, you know, there's a lot of talk about that, but kind of getting down into the nitty gritty of what those jobs are going to look like and what they are, I think, would be really important information to get out.
2: Yes, and the the speakers who were talking that it was, um, they reminded us that it is very important to really describe what those jobs are, particularly for communities who, in some instances, many generations have worked um, in the same industry in, you know, in mining and. Um, And it is really important that we can describe when we talk about renewable jobs, they talked about the importance of being able to say what they are, what will people be doing. Yep, so that that would be a great idea.
0: Yeah, fantastic.
2: And John Grimes as well from the CEO of Australian Solar Council um, was really great, reminded us that the boom in renewables in Queensland is already happening and that how essential it is that policy confusion Such as the NEG, you know, must not be allowed to get in the way of investment in renewables.
0: Yeah, and um, there was some, um, I mean, there's probably a number of these things, but if anyone's, you know, really wants to delve a bit deeper into that, the Climate Council put out a renewables powering Queensland's future, which has got some great information in there as well. So, you know, that's um, something if if listeners want to um, have a look at some of the. Figures around that, um, what's happening in Queensland? That that report's available from the Climate Change Climate Council website. So that's that's really good. Well, it's great that BZD got um, you know that you spoke at that. I think it's really important that we keep continuing to get out there and and be seen. And um, it sounds like there were most of the major players at that that conference.
2: There were, and I think equally. Um with the radio show and, and, you know, having climate leaders on, you know, if, if you're interested and you read the the mainstream media outlets, you you probably have very little idea about um, the change that is happening, the investment that's flowing, the pipeline of renewable projects. There are so many good things that are happening, but when, you know, people are not being told about them and Australians need to know that change is happening and, and change is a really good thing. And I think, you know, um, Conferences like a SunPower Queensland Summit and and Beyond Zero Emissions Radio and Renew Economy, we're bringing yeah. um, we're bringing these stories to Australians.
0: Yeah, and particularly you know Queensland's going to an election this Saturday, um, and we spoke with um, some of the people, the on the ground campaigners with the Stop Adani campaign last week. And you know it's really important when people go to the ballot box. There's a whole lot of issues obviously that influence their decisions. But, um, at this critical time, it's really important to think about that. you know when you've got some of the major parties and some of the maybe not major parties, but maybe people that are in a position of influence to form the government um are talking about building new coal. It's crazy, just craziness, but um, you know, so I'd encourage people to really think about that. I know that we have um people who listen to the podcast or stream the show out of queensland so um, it's probably preaching to the converted if you're listening to the show maybe you know, you'll know you be pr- quite uh, knowledgeable about where to place your vote but maybe if you're, for your friends and neighbours it might be an opportunity to expose them to some new information so it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that look we're very close coming to the top of the hour so there's just a couple of other things um, that I just want to kind of quickly throw out there for people to have a think about um, Tesla launched their Semi which is the new big you know Semi trailer, road transport truck in the United States this past week or so. Um, you know they've, um, without wanting to jump on the, the Tesla fan girl or fan boy bandwagon, they are doing some amazing tempting, things. Though. It is very tempting. <laughs> um, look, they're doing some great things, and they're really the one pushing things. And and I had this discussion last week at the discussion group with um, the, this uh, Andrew from Nissan. Kind of talking about the fact that you know, when a business gets that many orders for a product that no one's seen, no one's touched, it's got to make the other big manufacturers take a look. So road transport, transport and, and um, freight, certainly it's something that BZE has looked at in terms of you know the high speed rail plan, the electric vehicles plan, and it's a big contributor. So I think it's a, it's a pretty monumental step forward, and I've seen some information recently about um, you know massive. Um, Road transport users like Walmart in the States and things like that kind of really looking seriously at these kind of things. So that's pretty interesting that that's happening. Um, COP23 is currently happening in Germany. Uh, That's pretty important. It's actually been hosted.